Welcome to Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. What does it take to lead yourself and your teams to high performance with ease? Today, you'll discover simple practices that separate exceptional leaders from the rest. Now, here is your host, Nicole Bendeley. Hi there, I'm Nicole Bendeley. Welcome to this episode of Leading on Purpose. You know, I spent these past couple of days um, devouring Gallup's um, State of the Workplace Report. So they release a report every year on the state of the workplace, and it's a global report. And this report shares statistics about, um, you know, uh, engagement and well-being and productivity and stress and anxiety and worry um, from a global perspective, as well as an individual country perspective. And I devoured this report over the past couple of, of days, and it really, really gave me pause. And there's one statistic in in particular that every leader from the front lines to the C-suite should truly sit up, take notice, and take action as a result. Um, Because according to Gallup's report, roughly 7 in 10 employees are struggling or suffering rather than thriving in their overall lives. 70% of employees are struggling rather than thriving in their overall lives. Take that in for a moment. That gave me real pause. And it, it, it gave me pause because in part, one of my mission is to help as many people, as many teams, as many leaders to thrive far more than they struggle, to eliminate the struggle. And so when I hear seven in 10, um, I realize that I need to be far more aware and in tune with what's really going on in the lives of those that I work with and support. And it also drives me to take even greater action. And I really hope that through at least this, this episode will, will help, um, create even more action and focus on the importance of thriving and, and well-being. And so I'd like you to just take, you know, take it in for a moment. Think about the people on your team, the people in your department, across your company, how many of them are truly thriving right now? How many of them are struggling? Seven in 10 is a startling statistic. And while not necessarily surprising, given the state of the world this past year and a half um, and the impact COVID-19 has had, but nevertheless, it is a serious wake-up call. It is every leader, every leader's responsibility to support the well-being of their people. And not just now in this COVID world, but from now on, every day as part of the quote-unquote way we do things around here prioritizing and supporting the well-being of people must be ingrained in the culture, in the ethos of your organization, or at the very least, the team you are responsible for leading. Not just because it's the right thing to do, which should be enough reason, but also because as the Gallup report so eloquently stated, suffering destroys human spirit. 
And it is the human spirit that drives innovation, drives productivity, engagement, a high-performance culture, and ultimately profit for the organization. And the most successful organizations in the future will not only generate profit, but also will generate thriving employees who are capable of weathering any crisis that is thrown at them, that is thrown at the organization. Now, it's interesting, you know, I, I came across, I wanted, I wanted to understand the word company. Okay, because I say your company, your organization, your company all the time. And so I looked up the literal definition of company. And it actually stems from originally the, the French word compagnie, right? And it really describes a group of people. It has its origins in the old French term compagnie, recorded in 1150, which means a society, friendship, intimacy, bond of soldiers. And the military started using it to represent a, you know, a body of soldiers. Your company isn't the product you make. It isn't your intellectual property, the services you offer, or even the customers you serve. First and foremost, your company is your people, full stop. And so the purpose of today's episode is twofold. First, I'm going to share with you what it means to truly thrive, right? And what your, you and your leaders can do to support the well-being of your people. And second, we're going to focus on how to ensure your post-COVID company culture is designed to bring out the very best in your people, in which the majority of your people are thriving. So let's start with the first purpose, understanding what it really means to, to truly thrive. So thriving employees, according to Gallup, report significantly fewer health problems less worry, less stress, sadness, depression, and anger. And they report far more hope, far more happiness, energy, interest, and respect. Now, it's interesting when you dive into it, Gallup measures thriving by quantifying the difference between the best possible life and the worst possible life using a simple two-part question. And the question assesses how people feel about their lives currently and how they expect to feel about their lives in five years. And those individuals with a high life evaluation are considered to be thriving or to be considered to you know, have a high level of well-being because they have positive views of their present life situation and positive views of the next five years. And it's interesting because one of the most, <laughs> I find these stats interesting. So um, one of the most interesting stats that I found from this report shows that Nordic countries have the highest percentage of people who are thriving in the world. Okay. Finland scored the highest with 85% of employees who are thriving, whereas only 56% of employees in Canada and the U.S. 
are reported to be thriving. So when we link this to engagement, how does this affect employee engagement? Well, when we measure engagement, we're measuring what is happening at work. How engaged are individuals at work, right? Are they being proactive? And thriving and well-being, and I'm going to use those two, two words interchangeably in this episode. They measure not only, they measure work and all other experiences, right? Outside of work. And clearly we all know by now, or we should all know by now, that experiences outside of work greatly affect the work itself. We cannot separate the two. Our ability to be fully engaged at work is influenced by everything else that's going on in our lives as well. Now, something I need to point out here and really, really underscore is that well-being is on the decline. And it has been on the decline since 2009. This just isn't a COVID issue. COVID has magnified it. But the well-being crisis isn't going away when COVID goes away. And we dove into this a little bit, actually quite a bit, in the episode of supporting mental health in the workplace with Dr. Stephanie Dutbott and Donna Marshall. And we looked at The fact that mental health, emotional strain, stress, worry, and anxiety all have an impact on work performance. And according to this study, employees' daily stress trends reached a record high in 2020, which isn't surprising given the state of the world. It increased from 39% in 2019 to 43% in 2020. Now, What's surprising is that, yes, okay, it increased 4%. I thought it would be more, but we were already globally 39%. And employees in the US and Canada report the highest levels of stress in the world at 57%. And when I started to think more about stress and the impact it has, I realized that I didn't truly understand the difference between stress, worry, and anxiety. So I did some research. And let's start with worry. So according to Melanie Greenberg, and she's a clinical psychologist and the author of The Stress-Proof Brain, which I have just purchased a book, a copy of actually yesterday. So I'm excited to read it. Um, Worry tends to be, so let's focus on on the definition of worry. Worry tends to be repetitive, obsessive thoughts right? Worry happens in the mind, right? In our brain where we're thinking it's cognitive. Worry happens when your mind dwells, dwells on negative thoughts, when it dwells on uncertain outcomes or things that could go wrong, right? Many of us are experts at worrying. I've had to train myself not to dwell on worrying. But according to Luana Marquise, an associate professor of psychology at Harvard Medical School, worry is actually a way for your brain to handle problems, right? In order to keep you safe. It's when we get stuck thinking about a problem over and over again, when we dwell in it, that worry stops being functional and instead of used for problem solving to take action, it becomes um, a stressor. 
Okay. And it works against us. Stress is a physio- physiological response connected to an external event. So for example, a physiological response to a work deadline or facing a fear like public speaking. Symptoms of sp- stress, right, include your heart rate might go up. You might get you know, cold or sweaty or clammy palms or shortness of breath. I feel, I feel stress in my stomach. I get nervous butterflies, right? Some people feel a tightness in their chest. So stress is a physiological response to an external event. Now, the third piece, anxiety, according to a New York Times article in which Dr. McKeese was interviewed, has a twofold. It has a cognitive element, so worry, and a physiological response, so stress, which means that we experience anxiety in both our mind and our body. And so anxiety happens when you're dealing with a lot of worry and a lot of stress. And we see anxiety, the rates of anxiety going up significantly. Worry happens in your mind, stress happens in your body, and anxiety happens in your mind and your body. In small doses, worry, stress, and anxiety can be positive forces in our lives because it spurs us to take action and to you know, protect ourselves or to problem solve, to evolve. But research shows that most of us are too worried, too stressed, and too anxious. And that affects our overall well-being and our ability to thrive. And we're seeing that in these Gallup results. So Gallup has identified five elements that make up overall well-being. And at Waterstone, right, we help leaders, you know, we don't to, to, to really strengthen a few of these elements through in part our building high performance teams and cultures program, where leaders learn how to prioritize the well-being of their people. But I want to introduce you to these five elements because I think every leader needs to understand what well-being means. And so these five elements include, I'm going to touch on them at each at a high level that I'm going to dive into a couple of them. The first element is career well-being. Okay. In short, this means liking what you do every day. And we'll dive into it in a second. The second element is physical well-being. You have energy to get things done. The third is community well-being. You like where you live. The fourth is social well-being. You have meaningful friendships in your life. And five, financial well-being. You manage your money well. In order to thrive and have that positive view on life, on your life currently or in the next five years, remember we talked about that two-part question, individuals need to feel confident and good about each of those five elements. And so let's expand on the career well-being piece, right? I'd like to expand on this definition by Gallup. So Gallup, you know, in short is, I'm sure there's more to it behind the scenes, but in short, they describe it as liking what you do every day. And so I'd like to expand on this because career well-being obviously is more than 
liking, just simply liking what you do every day. As I shared in in a previous episode, it's about career well-being is about experiencing joy through our work. We experience joy when we are we feel meaningfully connected to the work we are doing and we know we are making a difference to the organization's purpose and and those that the organization serve and we serve through our work. And if we can't as employees see that connection or we don't feel valued and recognized for our contri- contributions in a meaningful way, we won't like what we do every day. Liking what you do every day is also correlated with being able to see a path for your career, a future at the organization, right? And knowing that and feeling confident and trusting in your leaders that your leaders have your career development in mind, top of mind, and that they are actively supporting and developing you along the path. And so, for example, at Waterstone, our Engage survey measures employee engagement and company culture. And one of the areas that we measure is the degree to which employees see and know their path, that they have a path at the organization and know that their leaders are focused on supporting their career. And so career well-being is significant and you as leaders play a significant role in strengthening that element. Now I'm going to touch on a couple of others, physical well-being and social well-being on the other side of break. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. One of the many things this past year made clear is that the world of work has been forever changed. And it is especially evident in the way leaders must now lead if they want the best from their people. At the Waterstone Culture Institute, we provide leaders with the tools and practices most essential to high-performing teams and cultures. Discover the three things the most effective leaders will do in 2021 with our free webinar. Visit waterstonehc.com slash culturewebinar and watch it today. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for the power of young people to change the world. Hosted by NYLC CEO Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The Lord Jesus Christ presents a doctrine through the Apostle Paul for us so that we might teach the word to others. Hear and interpret these words of wisdom each week on the radio program Why Paul? With hosts Michael and Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton through their ministry, 14th Street Ministries. Michael, Michelle, and Pamela are dedicated to sharing these words with you so that you might pass it along to others. Listen every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Discover more about Nicole and how the team at Waterstone Human Capital helps leaders to build high-performance teams and cultures at waterstonehc.com. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. All right, welcome back. So before we touch on a couple of the other elements, I want to come back to career well-being. Um, you know, I have, I have some questions for you that I'd like you to reflect on. When you think about your team, well, think about yourself for a second. On a scale of one to 10, how excited are you to start work in the morning? And I know it's going to say it depends on the day. But in general, think about your role, your company, the team. On a scale of one to 10, how excited are you to start work? If it's a high score, likely you like what you do. You have a strong sense of career well-being. If you score on the lower scale, you likely don't like your role at the moment or what you're doing at the moment. And chances are you're not working in a high-performance organization. In a high-performance organization, there is a high sense of career well-being because people are pulling together in the same direction towards a common goal that they feel connected to, in which they see themselves contributing to, and they feel as though, and they know they are a valuable contributor to that goal. And they work for leaders that they trust and they know have their backs and their best interests in mind. People who score high on career well-being, who love what they do, feel connected to what they do and find joy in what they do, also see a path for themselves at the organization, a path that's aligned with their own goals. And they feel supported in achieving those goals. You know, many organizations are going to have a wake-up call pretty soon. This past year, many, many people have taken the time to reflect, to reflect on what's most important to them and the kind of life that they want to create for themselves and their family. And those who are privileged enough to leave an organization, who are privileged enough to have choices in in where they work and who they choose to work for, are at high risk of leaving your organization if they don't see themselves and see how they connect meaningfully to the organization's purpose, if they don't feel as though they're a valued contributor, and if the organization and the structure, this new hybrid model or whatever model you're going to choose to develop for the organization is not aligned with the way in which they want to work anymore. Before, many people felt they didn't have a choice. I have to go to work from nine to five. It is what it is, or six to six, or whatever the hours might be. I need to be in the office. That's the norm. The norms have changed. What is the norm now? We don't know. Each organization is creating new norms for themselves. And those decisions 
around your new norms will affect each individual sense of career well-being. And so can keep that in mind, keep your people's needs truly, truly in mind when developing this next new model of work for your organization. Because people who are able to make those choices to leave will leave if they don't feel aligned to this new way of working. All right? So are your people truly connected to your common goal? Do they see themselves in it? Are you talking about it? Are you creating dialogue and inspiration and motivation around why you're here and how you're going to achieve your goals together and why each person is unique and brings something special to the table that's essential to the goal? Do they know the difference that they're making? Can they see their path in the organization? And do they feel supported? So just those are just a few questions that are essential to supporting career well-being. Is there flexibility? Is there empowerment? Are people able to make the decisions that they need within their role without feeling micromanaged? Right? Can they be proactive and take accountability for the work? I can go on and on and on about career well-being. This is such a big focus of our Building High Performance Teams and Cultures program. And when leaders don't make people a priority in this way, people will leave or, or a culture of complacency, which is even worse, will set in where people will just show up to work and not be engaged. And in fact, the Gallup study says 80% of people are just showing up to work right now. Do you want actively engaged people or people that are just showing up to work? Now, the other two elements, the other element is physical well-being, right? You have energy to get things done. And of course, you know, there are many, many Um, organizations who have, you know, physical wellness programs and mental health supports um, and, and the like, which is phenomenal. At Waterstone, we're having interesting conversations. And these are conversations that I'm also having with leaders that I coach and work with. When when we work in a high performance organization, our physical well-being can be put to the test or put at risk. Because in in high-performing, go, 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 drive results organizations, it can feel difficult for people to choose to take a rest or feel as though they're able to rest and recover. And so policies are one thing. Benefits are are one thing. Phenomenal. If you you have benefits that speak to physical wellness and nutrition and, and, and all of that, amazing. But unless the leader is communicating and role modeling the importance of rest and recovery and taking time to check out and turn off Slack and Zoom and your text, put your phone away and reconnect with your friends, reconnect with your family, or just take some time to yourself. If the leader isn't modeling that, 
or at the very least encouraging and even insisting that people take time, then physical well-being is going to be put to, to, a, to at, at risk. And so how are you, you know, encouraging that, right? At Waterstone, we're very focused on ensuring people take the time they need, having conversations with the, the, those that we lead and, and, and notice when, you know what, you haven't taken some time off. Why don't you take some time off this month or what's going on there? Do you feel you're not able to take time off? How can I help you with that? And having conversations around it so that team members, A, know that you notice, B, know that you care genuinely about their well-being. And, and, and C, are, are taking the time they need to rest and recover and re-energize and fuel that human spirit. And then there's social well-being. So social well-being is you have meaningful friendships in your life. And I would argue social well-being is also tied to career well-being. And we can't like what we do every day and fully thrive if we don't have meaningful relationships at work. We just can't. Our ability to experience joy through our work and thrive through our work comes in part from meaningful relationships at work. So how are you, the leader, creating connections within your teams, fostering dialogue? How is the organization creating opportunities for people to get to know each other outside of their team and foster learning and community building together? right? That is essential to thriving. Yes, the policies that support family-friendly, you know, policies and being able to, um, you know, take the time and have the policies there to support families, et cetera, is essential. But again, if leaders aren't focused on supporting those connections and meaningful relationships, those won't, those won't mean anything. So as I shared in the last episode, we are in a new era of leadership, an era of bespoke leadership where leaders are highly in tune with the needs of their team members and understand and genuinely care about the context in which they are working. And by context, I mean their lives in and out of work because they so greatly influence each other. They cannot be viewed as separate pieces. And like I said, the best organizations absolutely have policies, systems, and programs that are woven into the fabric of their organization to support each of the five elements of well-being, right? For example, as I said, many organizations have mental health supports and training, physical wellness programs, financial supports and education, and family-friendly policies. But that's just not enough. The biggest impact on supporting the well-being of employees stems from leaders who genuinely care and support the well-being of their employees. And we know through Canada's most admired corporate cultures awards program that we've been running for 18 years. So we know 18 years of research 
uh, on high performing cultures that drive an organization's performance. 18 years of celebrating and recognizing those organizations who are doing it the best. We know those organizations are doing a number of things very well to support the well being of their people. First, they are prioritizing psychological safety. And we dove into that in the last episode. And by prioritizing psychological safety, I mean they're ensuring a safe space, a safe culture, safe dialogue between leaders and team members, between team members, between leaders for honest, candid, meaningful conversations so that they can happen regardless of who initiates them, whether the leader initiates them or the team member. So they can talk about any number of things, but including well-being. It's no longer acceptable for a leader not to really have a sense of the state of well-being of their team member. Second, these organizations are focusing on developing their people and supporting their career development. They ensure that employees, A, know exactly how they, can, how they contribute to the organization's success. They ensure that they're, they are connected meaningfully to that goal and to the organization's purpose and mission. They ensure their people are recognized and appreciated and that they have a clear development path. And by development path, I mean, they're they're trained. They're given opportunities to learn and grow and develop their skills. And third, these organizations are actively crafting the culture of their organization. Listen, your organization is going to change your organization's culture, your company culture, it is changing. And you can, you have two choices. You can let it evolve and roll the dice, or you can intentionally craft it in a way that will, yes, drive the profits and performance of your organization and create a thriving environment that focuses on well-being. And that's what drives performance. So, Let's talk about crafting your culture. So in the episode, Building a High-Performance Culture During Times of Disconnection, so it was a couple of episodes ago, I, be, I believe, we talked about, or I talked about the culturepreneur, which is a new term, right? That, and it's, it's a culturepreneur is a leader who puts culture at the center of strategy. And, and so I want to walk you through exactly how culturepreneurs put culture at the center of strategy. And it's a process that we've created at Waterstone Human Capital or at the Waterstone Culture Institute. And it's called the Culturepreneur Operating System. And it's a process that we take CEOs and their executive teams through so that they can, organizations can intentionally craft the culture, design the culture that will be most essential to their ability to achieve and drive performance through their people, right? And it allows organizations to really operationalize culture so that it's everyone's responsibility, so that it's not just HR or people and culture's responsibility, and it sits over there in that department, so that it's operationalized at every level of the organization, and that it's 
every single person's job to intentionally create the culture that they're designing for, that they're striving for. Now, I'm going to walk you through this this culturepreneur operating system that we're calling for short, the COS, let's call it. And now I... If you're a leader that doesn't happen to sit on the executive team or happen to be the CEO of an organization, that's okay because this process applies to you and your team as well. And you simply adapt it to focus on your team as opposed to the entire organization. So I'll do my best to adapt it as well along the way. And there are five steps to this process that we're going to go through. Assess, craft, plan, transform, and align. And our motto is to keep things simple. Culture transformation isn't easy. It's hard. It takes time, but it doesn't have to be complicated. So let's start with the first step in culture transformation, in really ensuring that you are able to and are clear on the culture that your organization needs to develop in order to achieve success and ensure the well-being of your people. So the first step is assess. Assess what? Well, assess the current state. Do you have a clear understanding of your organization's culture currently? It's changed. If you did two years ago, if the last time you did an Engage survey was two years ago, pre-COVID, and you haven't done one since, chances are you don't have a good picture of the state of the level of engagement. So what do you assess? One thing is assessing engagement, the level of engagement. What else do you need to assess? Your culture. Do you have a clear picture of what your culture, how people perceive your company culture? So we're going to take a look at that, how to assess, what to assess on the other side of break. Stay tuned. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. One of the many things this past year made clear is that the world of work has been forever changed, and it is especially evident in the way leaders must now lead if they want the best from their people. At the Waterstone Culture Institute, we provide leaders with the tools and practices most essential to high-performing teams and cultures. Discover the three things the most effective leaders will do in 2021 with our free webinar. Visit waterstonehc.com slash culture webinar and watch it today. Things Worth Considering, featuring host Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis, is a program that's all about connections. The connections we make with our families, our workplaces, friends, and others around us. It's also about connections to ourself, spirit, feelings, and stories. Let us connect with you each week to explore who we are and what we can be moving forward. We can overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Things Worth Considering airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. The White House doctor makes house calls. 
Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Discover more about Nicole and how the team at Waterstone Human Capital helps leaders to build high-performance teams and cultures at WaterstoneHC.com. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. All right, welcome back. So before break, we were talking about the Culture Printer operating system. And I just want to let you know, for more information on that, you can check out waterstonehc.com. You can also pick up a copy of Marty Parker's book, The Culture Printer, at um, Amazon or any online bookstore. All right, so... We were talking about the first step, which is assess, right? Assessing your level of engagement at the organization, assessing the culture. Um, At Waterstone, we do both in one survey. We assess engagement and we also assess the 10 drivers of a high-performance culture. Um, Drivers include people focus, work environment, um, innovation and agility, teamwork and collaboration. There are a number of different drivers that we know are essential to a high-performance culture that we assess. Now, if you don't have a quantitative way of assessing your organization, I suggest you, you start implementing one or... At the very least, and these can be very powerful, having qualitative conversations, doing a qualitative assessment. Many organizations right now are holding um, culture chats, for example, um, where they're having whether one-on-one conversations or focus group conversations, and, and we're supporting these types of conversations at Waterstone as well. We're doing these on behalf of our clients where the focus is truly on understanding individual and groups of people's perspective of what do they love about the culture at the organization? How do they define the culture? What words come to mind, right? Um, what are they most proud of? Um, what frustrates them? What are some of the unwritten rules that are shouldn't be tolerated but are, are tolerated, right, that affect the culture? So we gather, you know, a really clear picture of the current state, the good, the bad, the ugly, the awesome, right? And it's important to have a really clear picture of the current state of things, especially if you're about to embark on, you know, a new model of work, a hybrid model, for example, Um, especially if you're about to call everybody back to the office, right? Before you make these big decisions, it's really important to understand the current state of things, to be able to inform your decisions, to be able to inform how you communicate and roll out those decisions, and to be able to inform, you know, how you're going to support your people through this change. I keep saying this to, you know, the people that I work with and and support the different clients, you know, the re-entry post-COVID is going to be a bumpier ride for many people, 
the re-entry back to work, back to this old way of doing things or this new way, unknown way of doing things. It's going to be a bumpy ride. And unless we understand people's needs in the current state of things, it will be far more difficult to support them along the way. So the very first step is assessing. Also getting back to culture transformation and crafting the culture most essential to your organization's performance and your people's well-being, we can't craft where we need to go unless we understand where we are right now. So assess the current state. That's the first step. The next step in the culturepreneur operating system is crafting the desired culture. So once you have an understanding of your current state, the next is, okay, well, where do what type of culture, what does high performance culture look like for us? Given our five, 10 year strategic objectives, right? What type of culture do we need in order to achieve those objectives? And so bringing the leadership team together to have that conversation of what does the ideal future state organizational culture look like and really paint that picture. And by paint a picture, I mean, identify those traits, those words that come to mind that describe the desired future state. That will be essential. You may not know how to get there, but what is essential to get there? And then compare the two, compare the current state to the future state and and identify those aspects of your culture that you, current culture that you want to honor and nurture and strengthen those pieces that are sacred cows of your culture. Maybe you have a high degree of respect. Maybe you have a high degree of care and passion for the purpose of the organization. Maybe you have high levels of innovation and agility within the organization that you want to honor and nurture and strengthen and want to protect during times of change. Identify those sacred cows, those pieces that need to be honored. And then identify, okay, what needs to shift? What do we need to move from? And then two, do we need to move from siloed to collaborative and integrated? Do we need to move from directive to empowered? What, how do we need to shift? Are we thinking too small? Do we need to think bigger? Do we need an entrepreneurial mindset as opposed to a play it safe mindset? What is it that we need to shift in order to achieve this future state that we've crafted? And getting very clear on the few things, the five things that absolutely need to shift in order to achieve that desired culture. We can't do that until we understand the current state, right? So the first step is assessing. And I want to to shift this to focusing on the team level for a minute because we've been focusing it on the organization level. If your organization isn't currently committed or are undergoing a, a culture transformation process where you're really, truly looking at defining and shaping culture. That doesn't mean that you can't have as a leader, a significant impact on the culture of the team that you lead. And it still starts with assessing. And if you're looking for a team culture assessment, a team effectiveness assessment, take a look at teamfitnesstool.com. 
Okay. This is an assessment that um, assesses the seven elements, the seven areas that are most essential to a high performance team. It's online. It provides you with all the tools you need to have the dialogue required in the crafting session section as well, to focus on taking action to address the areas that need to change. So you absolutely can do these steps at the first, you know, at your team level. It starts with assessing. So find a team assessment out there that resonates with you that you can use with your team. Then bring your team together for the crafting piece. And this is something we do with our teams that we that we work with as well is to then have a conversation, review the current state, how they define the current state of the team the strengths, the opportunities for improvement, and then have a conversation around in order to be an even better, more high-performing team, what do we need to do? What does that future state look like? So you can absolutely do this at the team level. So we have assess, we have craft. Part of crafting is also identifying, okay, what are we going to measure? How are we, let's move this up to a higher level now, the CEO and executive team, how is the organization going to know? How are we going to know we are on our journey, that we are actually making progress and moving forward, right? That we're, we're making a difference. Our culture is making a difference. So how, what are we going to measure? There are a lot of different things to measure. Employee retention, turnover, um, customer satisfaction, employee net promoter score, net promoter score. There's also external, you know, things that that can be measured around, you know, impact on the environment or the communities that you're serving, um, stakeholder um, surveys, etc. A lot of different measures. Remember, what gets measured gets changed. What gets measured gets focused on. And so this isn't, you know, building a high performance culture for the sake of having a raw, raw, happy place to work. No, we're building high performance cultures to drive performance and to drive employee well-being. So what do you need to measure that will tell you that your employees are thriving and that your, your organization is performing? So really get clear on what you're going to measure. That's part of the crafting phase. Then the next phase is, is planning. Okay, given where we want to go, given what we're going to measure, what needs to take priority, right? What do we need to do first? So for example, do we have the right leadership competencies? Do we have the right values? Do we need to revise our values? Um, do we have... Um, the right learning and development? Do our leaders have the tools they need? Do they know how to coach? Do they know how to lead change? Do they know to, how to build a psychologically safe environment? Do they know how to recognize and appreciate? Do they know how to support well-being? If the answer is no to all of those things, well, that needs to be a priority, right? How are we supporting our leaders in order to build these high-performing cultures? So really looking at the what must take priority and building a roadmap to, to get you there in year one. Then the next step, once you have your roadmap, and that can take some time, 
and really getting clear on those priorities. And by the way, this is an executive team, a whole team effort. This isn't the HR team. This is the executive team coming together. And when we look at planning at the team level, this is the leader bringing the team together and saying what needs to take priority. And then taking that information away and and as the leader, determining what needs to take priority and coming back to the team with the plan. And then transforming, that's implementing the plan and being fanatically focused on executing and, and, and ensuring that your leaders and people at all levels of the organization have the tools and skills, mindsets needed to transform the culture. And also that they know it is their accountability. It is their responsibility to own the culture of the organization. And then align, which is the final step. How are your, are your executive team members aligned? Are they aligned to culture being a priority? And alignment means ensuring culture is part of the leadership team conversation at every leadership team meetings. And so alignment requires really reflecting on how are we using our executive team meeting time? Are we talking about what's most important, the culture of the organization? Are Are we too focused on other metrics? So embedding the culture conversation and those key culture measures into the leadership team conversation at the leadership team level. And at Waterstone, the way we help do that is that we participate in regular leadership team meetings to bring forward that roadmap, bring forward the scorecard of measures so that in aligning the leaders to that future state culture and building the accountability to it across the organization. Um, but it can start with you all just bringing the conversation to the table. Okay. So, you know, I talked a lot today. Um, I got really revved up about the seven in 10 employees who are struggling, um, in their lives. And you know what? Change is in each of our hands. We can make a difference in the lives of our employees with simple everyday ways of engaging with each other and showing that we care and connecting, offering help, having meaningful conversations and really focusing on the well-being of our team members and creating environments and cultures in which everyone can thrive and in which everyone may take joy in their work. And so I wish you the very best. And if you want to continue the conversation, I can talk about this all day long. So please connect with me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, um, at uh, waterstonehc.com. You can reach out there and we can set up a time to chat. Um, I'm here to, to support you. And um, as I said, my mission is to help ensure as many teams and leaders can thrive and uh, let's eliminate the struggle together. All right. See you next time. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in again for another edition of Leading on Purpose with your host, Nicole Bendeley on the Voice America Empowerment Channel next Monday at 12 noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time. Have a wonderful week.